Hi, this is Darren Ranke, author of The Savage Leader, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Darren Ranke. Darren is the founder of Group 60, an executive coaching and training company focused on building great leaders from the inside out. He lives in San Diego, California, and is here to talk about his book, The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Welcome, Darren. Great to be here. It's great to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? I had a lot of influences, but definitely, if you had to point to one, it's definitely my dad, because there's so many reasons, and I could go on for days on that, but he was a self-made guy, put himself through college and veterinary school. What really impresses me most about him is his just quest for lifelong learning and growth. He's taught himself not just veterinary medicine, which he learned in school, but about business and stock markets and, and investing. That's what I'm re- I take away most is that he pushed himself into areas that he didn't know, much less couldn't even have imagined growing up and became very successful at that. Do you remember growing up how he would talk about what his current learning projects were at the dinner table or just hanging out with you? Did you get any of that rubbing off on you as you were growing up? Growing up, it was really just more about focusing on his veterinary practice and taking care of patients, which in this case is dogs and cats primarily. It was really more later on that the learning came. And I think he was probably so overwhelmed with his day job and raising us and coaching some of our sports teams. But it was really more later on where he listened to podcasts and radio shows. I think most radio shows, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, he used to talk about all the time. Now he's obviously a big fan of Mr. Buffett out in Omaha. He just read, he is a lifelong learner and reader and consumer of content and ideas and just always open-minded to new concepts. That's terrific. Do you remember how his example of being dedicated to his patients and his families who came into the vet clinic or his love of learning rubbed off on you as you started your career? Maybe there was a conversation you were having with someone or just a decision you made to pursue and get some more information or skills in an area that you needed to step up and become stronger in. Definitely a number of examples and ways that he rubbed off on me first and foremost was about helping others. His lens was helping pets and obviously indirectly their owners or guardians, whatever you want to call them. For me, I wanted to give back and help humanity and communities as well. I was actually pre-med the first couple of years in college and it was really just a realization I didn't want to go down that path. I ended up going down the corporate consulting path, did my four years at Accenture, did my MBA at UC Berkeley. I wasn't really fulfilled there, but it ended up coming full circle when I came about executive coaching and training, which is helping people, but through the lens of a business context, helping them become better leaders, transcendent leaders through coaching and training. So it was really going all the way back to the beginning, which is my desire to help people through which I learned from my, my dad and my mom that really got me into executive coaching. and training. I imagine that Accenture Consulting was more about the hard skills and the numerics and the analytics and looking at structuring how a product to fit a better market fit being able to help people understand cost structures and that sort of thing. Then you made the transition into executive coaching. How did you make that career choice? Because it did require you to change your own focus and develop new sets of skills yourself, I imagine. You're absolutely right. My time at Accenture, I think the tagline at this time was to help clients change to be more successful, which there just wasn't a lot of heart and soul in that. I was inspired intellectually, but not really at my core. I hadn't really gone through this self-discovery of what my values were and what matters most to me. But 
But over the years, I just saw so many projects and organizations just go into the ditch because of underdeveloped leaders and leadership teams. So I just realized that it's more subconscious. But then later on, I had a, a very dear friend and mentor who was going through a coach training program. I said, oh, that's interesting. I know coaching through a sports context, being a high school athlete and, and a coach of youth sport. I was a basketball player and baseball player in high school. So you were looking at it now from, it's not an athletic coaching, but a business coaching. What did you learn about that early on that attracted you? It was interesting. And it was something that going to this coach training program that was fully vetted by my friend and mentor, Annette, I figured if it's good enough for Annette, it's surely good enough for me. It was a six-day course. I didn't know what was going to come out the other side, and, and which is pretty unique for me. I, I usually go into something with a very detailed plan of what comes out the other side. I said, I know this is going to be helpful. So I went to this very intensive program. And because you're practicing becoming a coach, you have to coach each other on real topics. So I learned a lot about myself in that process. It was just an incredible learning experience of, of growth and development through those six days and then transitioning into becoming an executive coach. I learned a ton through that process, but also just when I'm coaching other people, I have to work on myself as well, because if I'm going to show up and be the best coach, best trainer, best speaker, I need to be very authentic in the things that I'm actually preaching to my clients. What's an example of something that you realized you needed to spend more time developing in yourself, drawing out in yourself, clarifying for yourself, that in order to take your own business to the next level, you had to reach in and do some work yourself? Great question. My friend Annette also prompted me years ago. She said, what's the philosophy of your firm? Which I hadn't done any of this purposed exploration, assignments and start with why. And so I was looking at it more through that lens of what's this philosophy? So rather than thinking about what are the products, what are the services, what markets are we going to serve? Let's start internally, which is what's the philosophy? At the same time, one of my clients also suggested this. One of the lessons I extracted was about building a firm that's an extension of yourself. It was interesting timing that I was doing some of that self-exploration around what's this firm-wide philosophy, but also I started to think about what do I really care about? What matters most for me? So the work that you suggest was around what does it mean? What are my most important values. I had a sense of being honest and being fair and things that mattered to me based on my upbringing from my parents, but also realized the importance of freedom of time and space and using that time and space to spend the time with people you care about most, which is my family and my, my children, my wife and my extended family. So the work was around really identifying and anchoring to my values and using those as the pillars to launch my firm or to extend my firm. You named the book, The Savage Leader. And I get a sense of reading it that being savage has to do with being courageous to look inside. You need to have the courage to say, this stuff matters. It needs to, like you say, anchor to your values and your principles. It's not a typical path that people take on their leadership journey. However, it's a crucial one that many do. What was the process like for you when you selected that title or when you were convinced by your editor to use that adjective in particular in your title? It actually was a, a term and a title that I came up with. And a very well-known author actually suggested something different. He says, you're not talking about savage. It should be something like the humble savage or, or the the vulnerable savage. As a recovering marketer, I'm always, always looking for something that's a little bit provocative too. So the savage leader was something that was a big, bold statement. But really what it means is that it is what you mentioned. It is being bold, being courageous enough to look inside because I deeply believe and through my experience, I think proves it to be such that most times, most books, most courses are focused on these hard skills, those Accenture skills, those UC Berkeley skills that I learned. But I believe there's this parallel internal journey that we go on to become great leaders that is as important, perhaps if not 
that more important than those hard. That reminds me of a Dilbert cartoon once that where I think the, the punchline was essentially, oh, so they promoted you because you're good at spreadsheets. You're now the vice president. Exactly. Which is a great point because so many times the people get promoted are the ones that are great at getting stuff done. But now they're people leaders and that's where they struggle. And that's really what the focus of most of our work is helping people that are perhaps highly technical and very accomplished employees. But now they have to actually lead people in teams and get work done with and through other people. And man, that is a very different skill set. And those people don't always have those skills. What's the challenge of reaching people who don't have those skills yet are required to fulfill those responsibilities in an organization? They know that they were put into this position. It's a vote of confidence. And yet they know that they could do even better. How is it that you reach someone in order to help them when this isn't something they were ever trained to do? I think some people get it, right? So they know that they need to actually work with people. It's a big leap for them. Some people don't. They think, oh, I can just keep doing the same things that I was doing and get the job done, put my head down, put my head in the sand, perhaps. So part of it is creating a lot of awareness to the importance of how they show up for their teams because it can't be command and control. Hey, go do this. I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. It's so many of those other soft skills, starting with communication. So how do I actually communicate effectively with my team to either delegate, to empower them, to inspire them, to get them to do the work that they need to become better employees and to be future leaders at a company. Dan, can you share an example of a leader you work with who was ready to take that journey and who came to you and wanted the training for his or her team or who wanted it for themselves personally? So that's a great question. And a great example is a client of mine named David that I worked with years ago. He had just gotten some feedback in a 360 review that he needed to improve his executive presence. David's a, a executive. He's out there doing a lot of lobbying type work for a very large, successful life sciences company in Boston. It's interesting is the executive presence was paired with he's too humble. And because some of the executive team members just didn't value humility as being effective in the C-suite. Ones would beg to differ. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. But not everyone embraces those philosophies and those principles. But so he had this internal battle, which is humility was something that was really important to him or is important to him. And so we started working in terms of what do you want your leadership brand to be? Because we had to show that he could still be humble, but be successful. So how do you demonstrate gravitas and project vision and communicate with impact and to read the room and doing all those things that are really critical from an executive presence point of view. But for him, it had to be authentic to being humble. What's interesting is that we started to do that work. He started to get some wins out in the marketplace and both internally and externally. And his CEO and executive team, there started to be an awakening that, wow, people can actually be humble and be successful. So that was a really a big shift to get him to really lean into his humility as being a towering strength that he always got, but had to give him the confidence to say, look, that's authentic to who, who you are. We can't strip that away from you to, to be and continue to be successful. But it was really cool to see the acknowledgement, although definitely implicit, that he could actually be, be humble and be successful. Did that show up on his next 360? Were people able to actually articulate the differences that they noticed? It was a little bit more implied than that. It was more of just kept getting newer and bigger opportunities and his role expanded. So it was more through that, like tacit approval of the work that he had been doing to be successful. I don't know if they could be vulnerable enough to admit that they were maybe wrong. But the biggest thing was, I think, an acceptance that other styles can be successful. That was the big lesson that people learn, and they hopefully internalize it. The other great lesson that comes out of this example, Darren, is that people are going to be the best version of themselves. It's just a different version of who you present and what you emphasize and focus on when you communicate. It's not becoming someone completely alien. 
it's bringing the best version of yourself out for those particular situations. Absolutely. I think it's doing a lot of work with values and what people want their leadership brand to be. I think people struggle with, I'm this different person in my personal life versus professional. I don't think you need to be two different alternate personalities, but I think it's almost like layers of an onion. It's true at your core, you're probably not going to show up with your executive team or with your colleagues in the office or in your call center the way you would at a 4th of July party. There should be some alignment, hopefully, and the people who are the most successful have alignment there because they're not separating these two different sides of themselves. But I think it's an important point for sure. One of the principles of your book is a commitment to lifelong learning. You talk about how that is evident for people who want to be savage leaders, who want to have a big impact. A commitment to lifelong learning is a must. You talk about an example. You talk about a fellow named Tom Spengler. When he started working as a new CEO and you started recommending that he read business books, well-known, well-established business books, in order to gain insights into his role as leader. Can you talk about what that relationship was like and how it illustrates that principle so well? That was not my recommendation to him. That was my observation of him. So Tom and I worked together at Accenture and he launched his business, which at the time was providing streaming video of, of bars and nightclubs in San Francisco. And then realizing that there wasn't a market, they could give him free drink tickets. There wasn't a business there. So they pivoted into creating streaming audio and video for small local governments. So not the city of Los Angeles, but the city of Glendale. What he recognized was that there's a lot of growth and learning that he needed to, to do to become a successful leader. For him, it was books. And and he read all the ones that I listed in the book and, and many more. I think the Porter's book, a great example, it is an MBA level course that he really broke down and distilled. He didn't just read these books. He actually took his own cliff notes. He made notes for how he actually should apply it within his own company, which is called Granicus. It was very successful in terms of elevating and growing as a leader, but he recognized that he had some of these gaps also that he needed to continue to be a lifelong learner and not just to become an effective CEO at Granicus and also even beyond that. It's part of his regular goals is putting learning goals and reading are a big part of that. Do you help other leaders who don't necessarily look to gain outside knowledge through books? Do you help them with book recommendations as well in order to fill in gaps or to help them become more confident by seeing other examples through well-known business books? Yeah, books are definitely one part of it. Some of the work that I do with leaders is in looking at what's the next hill for them to climb or what I really like is the hill after next because it's more aspirational. It gets you to crack open your head a little bit in in terms of growing and changing, like you could probably incrementally grow and change to tackle this next hill, but what's the one after that one? that really prompts someone to actually think bigger and more aspirationally. So we'll create a learning plan for people. It's about what are some new skills you need to acquire? And those are like the hard skills you talked about earlier. What are some of those behaviors you need, you need to adopt? What are those leadership behaviors? Whether it's communicating, empowering, delegating, creating trust. Also, what knowledge you need to gain? So what do I need to learn about from an industry subject matter expertise to about a function, to about markets, to about new clients? But then also experiences. What experiences do you need to get? What do you need to acquire? And sometimes people say, gosh, I need to get experience leading people, but they don't have that in their job. So it's, can you go and volunteer for a nonprofit or sit on a board where you're leading through dotted lines? So all of those things. And the last one, which I, I really like is 
perceptions. So not just what skills, what behaviors, what experiences, but what perceptions do you need to shift to help you close some of those gaps and be successful. But your point was about books. And that's definitely absolutely part of it because there's just a wealth of great business books and personal self-help types of books that are out there as well. And there's so much content out there. It's great. It's a great time to be a lifelong learner because there's TED Talks, there's digital courses, there's podcasts. Just the amount of information that is out there is staggering, but it's incredible because it's right there at your fingertips at all. Another point that I want to make is that people could get only so far just reading books. What is an example of a way that you help enrich someone's learning by knowing that they're reading a book and then help them either apply it or to go further in the exercises? I imagine many people do when they're just reading a book and they won't take the notes or go into it deeply or answer the questions that are listed in the book. Talk about an example where you were able to take who was interested in going that far and took them one or two steps further with your help. It's a great point. One of the things I do is use my own book. So the first principle is about identifying and anchoring to your values. I'll I'll use an example uh, of a gentleman named Jason and just working to understand what were some of his most important values. So we did some exercises where we would talk about some big stories from the past. We talk about as a former marketer, unaided versus aided awareness. One aspect is here's this list of 200 different values and selecting going from 10 to 5 to 3 and also looking at the other direction, which is what are some important stories? It's kind of like the start with why stuff. What are some big stories from your life, stories that parent, your parents, your family members, your friends tell about you and then extracting some themes and some values around that and then marrying those two together. So in this case, it was around growth which can be a a very broad term. But for him, it was around growth in his career, growth in his knowledge, and just being growing as as an individual as well. That was probably the most important value for him and just playing that forward. So we would take what was in this book and actually putting it into practice by starting with stories, selecting values, and creating a personal purpose statement that he actually uses. It's written in his notebook every day that he reflects back. That's so important. It leads me to think of another of your principles, which is taking action in order to maintain maintain and regain focus. It's the idea that ideas are great, but you've got to take action. You've got to write the notes in a journal. You've got to actually answer the questions and reflect on them. You've got to put the principle into action in order to gain that momentum. What's an example of a company or leader who you worked with who particularly grew as a result of this principle? Focus is a really important thing. I think one of the the lessons and the the Duke Men's Golf Coach that I interviewed does a great job, meditation and journal are such a huge component of that. So I worked with a woman, Julie, who is a very successful salesperson and tended to get a little bit overwhelmed with some of the day-to-day in terms of losing some of that focus because we all come in to the week with just brilliant intentions. And then an email zinger comes in or a text message from a client or from a boss or from a colleague that just completely shakes our foundation. We lose our focus. So a couple of things that she does now is around some journaling just to preset her mind for the week. Meditation is really helpful too, just to slow your mind. As Tim Ferriss talks about, it allows you to see the battlefield like a general from the mountaintop versus like you're in it is like arrows whizzing by you. Those two things have been really helpful for her to slow down and to gain focus through meditation and then journaling to journal what are some goals for the week. But also it's a great way to get out some of the mental trash because sometimes we're all human beings and we wake up with either self-limiting beliefs or things in our heads or things that are getting in our way and just to write down some of those things. Hey, I'm really frustrated by this. Gosh, I'm not making as much progress as I want to. Last week, I had these three goals and I achieved none of them or one of them. It's a great way to actually look for forward and inspire yourself and anchor yourself forward. But it's also a great way to put out the trash, so to speak, because it's such an important thing in 
our thoughts get in our way so frequently. That's different than what you touched on, which is a self-limiting belief. Can you tell me what your definition of a self-limiting belief is and how it might show up for a manager or leader? I think self-limiting beliefs are this probably the single biggest impediment that get in our individual paths to success. The way I look at a self-limiting belief is just, it's a thought or as I've learned from one of my clients, it's an old tape that's playing in our head, or I should probably use a more modern analogy, but it's a tape that's playing in our head that's based on either someone else's thought or comment, or it could be something I didn't go to a good enough school. I haven't worked at this company long enough. I'm not ready to go out for this big of a client or this big of a customer. Oftentimes, it mostly comes from ourselves. For me, um, I had a self-limiting belief about my ability to because I didn't get into AP English in high school. English was my my hardest classes as I was pre-med and undergrad. And really, it was in literature courses and analyzing what Kafka met in the metamorphosis. I struggled with that. And maybe I wasn't given the right tools to do that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I internalized that as I'm not a good writer. And that impacted me for a long time and actually stood in my way of starting to write this book. Luckily, a friend of mine said, hey, Darren, sounds like you're going to write a book. And I took that as a challenge to myself and to prove to myself that I actually could write and that the way I had internalized it was wrong. It wasn't that I can't write. I'm not, not saying I'm the best writer in the world, but hopefully I'm, I'm competent enough. But that tape was playing in my head because of something in the past of not getting into an AP English course, not getting the grades I needed to get into med school from college level English. So those just show up for different people. I don't have the experience. I'm not ready. It's just so many of these different thoughts that just come up time and time again with everybody. It's just they have to be humble enough and vulnerable enough to actually turn in and accept that they do have self-limiting beliefs. Oftentimes, it's the health help of someone to sort them out, to help make a differentiation between a self-limiting belief of, oh, I don't have the experience to do this versus, as you said earlier, you were working with somebody and you said they need to have the experience doing this. Let's develop a plan to get that experience, either through volunteer work or volunteering even within the organization to gain some of those experiences so that they have that as part of their, their work history and their sense of themselves. Do you see that as a critical role that you play as an executive coach? Absolutely. A lot of it's messaging too. So I do a lot of volunteer work with the Navy SEAL community. There's a wonderful nonprofit. Just got to give a shout out to called the Honor Foundation here in San Diego. Although it's nationwide now, but it serves transitioning military, specifically Navy SEALs and other special operators. So for them, they have these beliefs of, oh, I don't have that experience. So there's, there's one guy I was coaching and he was in a finance course and all these people had day jobs. Here's this guy as a transitioning military veteran. He's I don't have the experience. Like I don't have stories. I'm like, no, let's stop for a second. You absolutely have the stories. You just have to pull them out there in a very different context. So working on the messaging of, of how you can translate those experiences into being effective in that situation. That's one way where it, it can actually be how do you position some of those experiences, especially if you don't, you flat out don't have them. But absolutely to your point about working with people who, how do you close some of those gaps? So for me, yes, did I have a self-limiting belief about my ability to write? But okay, there's only so much self-talk in your head. You can talk yourself into becoming a better writer. There's a lot of hard work that has to be done. In my case, I started to read a lot of books and I had an awakening that, gosh, there's a lot of different styles that can be successful. So unlike analyzing college level English, there's not one way or my way is the highway, but there's a lot of different styles that can be successful. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done to address some of those facts that are woven in those beliefs. That's a great point that I hope that everyone reflects on to look and see that there's more than one way to get there. There, there isn't just one right way or one teacher you're looking to impress or satisfy or in a work context, a particular manager. You want to look to help the business advance in the way that makes the most sense and that draws out some 
skills or abilities or talents that you have as an individual contributing that can help make it a more valuable workplace. I think that's something that's so important. A lot of the work we do with executives and just managers is around adopting and adapting your communication to the audience. So we use this one assessment that helps people understand their different motives and personality styles and being agile in that context about how you communicate, but also how you show up and how you motivate. It's not just communication. A friend of mine who's the head of the Farmers Insurance Open at the big golf event here in San Diego, and he talked talked about recognizing the way people like to be awarded. For him, he doesn't need a lot of kudos and shout outs in the middle of team-wide meetings, but he had a person on his sales team that really needed that. They needed some of that acknowledgement out in the open. So him being self-aware enough to recognize that, started to recognize this person in a way that he didn't in some of the other people on his team, being agile with the people around you. So and it's not just for managers and leaders and executives, but it's individual contributors too. So how do you communicate with someone? How do you tailor your personality to the person that you're working with. Because everyone listening to this can be a leader, whether you have the title or not. And that's something I truly believe that we have an opportunity and a responsibility to to step in the role of a leader because for a lot of reasons. One, the marketplace is changing so fast. And I think we need to push leadership out into all tentacles of the organization because oftentimes it's not the people in the executive suite that are actually seeing those pain points, problems with services or products. Sometimes it can be that frontline sales person, that frontline customer service rep that hears things for the very first time, they don't have a sense of ownership in the company. They just hear something and let it go by. They need need to actually share that. But you have to empower them and inspire them and to position them like, hey, you're really important to this organization. What you hear and what you think, I want you to act as an owner of this company, have some ownership. That's a a really important point. But also, we've seen some failures of leadership the last 10 years. There's some really high profile ones and whether it's in, um, you know, for profit or not, we have to step up and hold them accountable to really live up to some of those values and the missions of organization. Which kind of brings us full circle to having the courage to step up and hold our own leaders accountable because we all benefit or suffer as a result of poor leadership and people not having these skills and bumping up against their own self-limiting beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. We're all human beings at the end of the day, right? Whether you're selling widgets or software as a service, we're all in the people business. We're all fallible in some way. We all have some blind spots. I think it's really important that we hold each other accountable, but also we're there for people. We lock arms, we help them move forward and to grow and get better because we're all going to make mistakes. It's just a matter of how you get back up and dust yourself off and move forward. Great point. Darren, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Let's do it. All right. So when you were a teenager, Darren, what's a song that you loved? Patience by Guns N' Roses. Have a little patience. Yeah, yeah. Now that's on permanent record. All right. Sorry. uh, Sorry, boys. Sorry, Melissa. It's important to you to help people find that leader in themselves, and then express that in the world so that it benefits each individual as well as the organizations which they serve. What do you do on a regular basis in order to help get your mission out? Conversations, having my own podcast, being on shows like this just to get the word out to people because I'm here to serve people first and foremost. What would you say is the best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months or so? $100. It's not $100. I started making my own rules. I love my AirPods. Complete this prompt for me. I recognize that I'm being successful when... I'm being my most authentic self. I know that a company has strong leadership when I observe... Leaders acting in the same way that what they're expecting of their team. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you yourself have stopped in the last six months or so that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I would say having too big of 
too big of weekly goals. So narrowing those down and saying, here's one thing I'm focusing on this week. In the last couple of years, what's a book that's not one of your own that you've given as a gift most often? I love Matthew McConaughey's book. It's either Green Light or Green Lights. As people think about becoming a stronger leader, adopting the savage leadership principles, what's a mistake that people have that you can offer some corrective insight into now? It is definitely not one size fits all. Don't try to be someone you're not, something you're not. That sounds probably too squishy for most people, but it's about being who you think you should be, not who someone else or some ideal in the marketplace thinks you should be. Darren, you have shared so many great ideas today on my quest for the best. I want to thank you for starting off and talking about your dad and sharing the stories about him developing his veterinary practice, then going on and learning all sorts of other fields of endeavor through self-learning. That's a great example. You talked about different people you worked with that helped illustrate adopting these principles and benefiting their own workplace. As you talked about the importance of how to peel and look through the different layers of the onion to gain insights and how people need to focus in order to make the most progress and take action in order to really get the most out of the commitments that they've made. So for these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Darren, before we say goodbye for now, can you tell me where is it that we could go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing? The best place to learn about me and the book is thesavageleader.com. And of course, LinkedIn is a great place to connect. Did you have a special guidebook that listeners could get from your web? Absolutely. So there's a, f- a series of free tools we give to anyone who reads the book, but they're still valuable in their own right. So if you go to savageleadertools.com, you can enter your email address and get access to a variety of tools that will help you to become a better leader in whatever context you're in. Darren Ranke, author of The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. All right. That was fun. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.